I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Germany is in a fascinating period of transition right now, as the VDP fine-tunes its organization of a new way to think about wines in Germany. What we consider to be the classic wines of Germany, the Pratikat categories laid out in the German wine laws of 1971, the Cabinet Spätleses and Auslöses, we all know. These are still thriving, but some winemakers are keen to make wines that interface better with certain international markets. Wines that are clearly dry, even if their sugar levels at harvest, could put them in a Spätlese or Auslese category. It's not just the VDP members that are popularizing this dry style of wine, and the subtleties of labeling these wines differently than the Pratikat wines. Many producers throughout Germany are either making wines this way, or experimenting with making wines this way. The VDP, however, is having great success, and they're leading the charge. Their new rules in 2012 outlined several key changes that have since made big impacts on the German wine market. Just in the last two and a half years, you can see the difference in your average quality wine shop. Most notably, the Pratikat wines of VDP producers must have some residual sugar. Their Grossescovich wines from Grossalaga sites must be dry. Essentially, a Grossescovich wine cannot be sweet. And if you're making a dry wine, you cannot put the words Spätlese or Auslese on the wine, even if the must-wait corresponds with that designation. The VDP rule changes of 2012 made a clear association of quality with appellation, and in a more subtler way, of quality with dry wines. Many VDP producers can and will still produce Pratikat wines in a sweet style. In the VDP, there is room for both. The main revolutionary outcome for the 2012 rule changes was that Grossescovich producers, or GG producers, could now have some sort of universally recognized status symbol, in this case capsule markings, bottle markings, and label designations. And all these make GG wines recognizable in an international market. Now people can know that the GG in their bottle is going to be a dry wine from a rated vineyard. In the quest for dry wines, some producers have given up using Pratikat labeling altogether. And it's not just in the VDP. Several producers who are not in the VDP may not be able to sell GGs, but they're labeling their wines in a similar way. They are philosophically aligning their wines with the VDP Grossescovich's way of doing things. At wine shops, you can almost tell which wines will be dry and which wines will have some residual sugar, just by seeing a Pratikat-style label or not. Ten years ago, you really had no idea which producers were fermenting those Spätlesen and Auslesen wines through to dry. You could sort of tell by alcohol level, but that's never completely reliable, since it doesn't factor in must-weight. When all this was happening a couple of years ago, it seemed that the GG way of making wine was pitting itself against the Pratikat way, and you could sense some tension in the market. I'm sure some of that tension is still there, but ultimately, I don't think the VDP's influence on dry wine production will or is meant to stomp out Pratikat production. Instead, it seems to be meant to carve out a new concurrent category of wine, 
so that people who want to make wine differently than the Pratikat system could function reasonably well in today's international market. At recent Riesling events, it seems that the two styles of winemaking are reaching a coexistence that's rather peaceful. It's kind of funny, because when you think about most other wine regions, usually a harvest is a short thing, and all the grapes go into one wine, maybe two. But it's interesting to think that even with the Pratikat system, that allowed for so many different kinds of wines to be made from the same vineyard, that even that system wasn't enough. It's also interesting to see and taste the results of the dry GG producers in the VDP and the wines of non-VDP members that are similar in style and quality. It's like getting to know a whole new side of German wine. I talk to winemakers all the time. And something they tell me is that oxygen management is a key to aging wine. Finding the right balance is crucial. And that's why I recommend DM's revolutionary cork closures. With DM corks, winemakers can achieve precisely controlled oxygen management after a bottle leaves the winery, ensuring a wine that matures gracefully and reaches its full potential. With over 2 billion DM corks sold each year, it's clear that winemakers worldwide trust DM for consistent results. And DM has recently expanded the permeability options for their popular DM10 and DM30 closures, providing winemakers with even more flexibility to choose a cork that will guarantee the kind of wine life they envision. Banish surprise dud bottles and embrace DM closures. Your customers will thank you. In North America, DM products are exclusively distributed by G3 Enterprises. Ready to ensure the lifespan of your wines? Go to dm-closures.com forward slash I-D-T-T to learn more. That's D-I-A-M-closures with an S dot com forward slash I-D-T-T for more information. Stefan von Nieperg of Canel Gaufier and several other estates, both in Bordeaux, other parts of the world. Hello, sir. How are you? Very well. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful to have you Th- here. No, thank you very much to invite me to coming here in New York. In 1971, your father purchased Canel Gaufier in Saint-Emilion in Bordeaux. Yeah. And then you arrived there in 1983. Exactly. And what was that experience like? What did you see when you came? You know, perhaps a little bit, uh, a little bit longer going into history. Um, my family is in the wine business for more than eight hundred years in Germany. So we have no French nationality. So I have no French accent. I'm sorry about that. We are, you know, all one of these very old-fashioned, large families. Uh, so in my generation, we are eight children, and I'm the oldest of the youngest. So I'm number five, and I had my. St- I'm studying business and politics in Paris, but for very different reason. And my father told old Miss me, oh, Stefan, you have absolutely take up the winery in Bordeaux. And I asked, why me? And he told me, you, Stefan, you speak French. And now you understand if you speak French, you take up a winery in Bordeaux. So it's easy. Well, that is a little bit what, what, what I find it's a, it's, a, it's a special part. And then I, I have uh, some tasting with some friends of my university in, in Paris. And we, we went to Bordeaux and we saw Canagafilière, but it's completely was uh, very close to ruins. And, uh, but we make a tasting and taste the wines from 78 to 50 all the good vintages. And then we, we see exactly that, that the, the vintage, the younger vintage was quite, quite not really good, but the old vintage was really outstanding. So 40, 64 and older, really outstanding. And these wines have really lived today. They have color, they have fruit, the extraction, they have talents, all what you need for outstanding wine. And then after 64, nothing more. And that was a question for me, what's happened? What's happened in this time? And it's more perhaps a little bit a reflection about somebody who, 
who's studying economics, that we can bring something back if it's gone. And then I am starting winemakings in 82, 81, 82 in uh, Montpellier. And I learned a little bit about more about wine, more about the scientific part of the winemaking. And really what, what I saw that in this time, we learned a little bit the death of the nature. You need how many virtu chemical fertilizers you need to grow up the wines, how many insecticides you need to make that, all the insects, how many, I don't know, dangerous things you need, the herbicide and all these stupid things. And when I come to Bordeaux, I thought, well, that's, that's not for me. I'm not coming into to agriculture with, about, uh, with a thinking like that. And then, little by little, well, I have also to learn behind, little by little, we changed completely. So we are, we are completely organic. We are very close to a little bit to biodynamic, but we are not, we are not ayatollahs. Huh? We are not completely closed. And, uh, but I think the most important thing that we have to bring back that is life to the soils. If you have no, if you are, if no microorganisms in the soils, if you, um, If you spring with herbicides seeds and insecticides, I think in the time you cannot make a wine who, who live, who have time to be better. Bordeaux wines means that you can age the wine for easily 10 years, the, big, the good vintage much more. So I think this is something very special while we have this very special climate also it's not too hot it's not too cold it's not too dry and uh, well we have no irrigation so we making wines they are they are very long they have very different tannins we have than in the very hot countries and these wine can age white also the tannins are developing differently so for me the the Bodo region is an area we can do a lot of special things we cannot do a lot of special wine and uh, in the time when i get up kind of that was a, not the best time for bordeaux why like in the whole world that's much more the thinking about quantities all the wine they do they sell and you sell not better if the quality was better and then only in the 84 well more 85 86 little by little you can you saw That the wines they are better, they have more concentration, they have more, they are more integrated tannins, they are riper, more fruit. Some people, some journalists take them out, and you start to sell your wines better than a medium or a bad one. So that's the first time that people also pays more expensive for a better wine than before. So that's a quite a new thing. So we are in the, in the middle 80s, and then these things are more and more coming in. So the, we have now the eight in the 88, 89, 93, outstanding vintage. And, and one of uh, the, one, perhaps the most important wine journalist like uh, Robert Parker. And if he put out in this time a winery that was really, really very important for the winery and, and the price is also going up. And so that was a part in, at the time in Bodo that changed all the things. What was really good for Bodo, but, uh, but it's good for the whole world, that we have uh, more and more the focus about quality. And now you can see that also wines, they are not so expensive, that wines you can buy for $15, $20, you can really see the prices, the, the quality is really going up. And I think that is a very important message that I'm not sure that you can make outstanding wine for three, four euro, euro or three, four dollars. That is um, somewhere the wine have to be faked. Or if, you're, if not, you, you're, the wine is coming for a country, you pay nothing for the people, but it's Not really, not a good way to live. Also, but in if you want to have a wine in from Europe, and I think the same thing is in California, the price have to be about ten, fifteen, twenty dollar almost this price that the people they produce the wine can live in a good way, 
and also that the people that consume the wine find that it's a good wine for the price. So I think this is a, I think this is a, a development what I find very good. Then you have a different kinds of wines. They are much more, they are very sensitive, very complex and very powerful. And these wines are more expensive, but behind you have also a name. You have the investment in the name. You take uh, names like Canaga Filiere, that is that's a um, brand for a long day, well known for a long time. But it's much more, exp uh, more much more important if you take Cheval Blanc, you take Ozan, you take Mouton Rothschild. These wineries are so important and they have so much history. So Pierre Lurton, he is the manager of uh, Cheval Blanc. He told me one day, you know, Stefan, only the first 200 years are very difficult. After that's easy. And that is a little bit Bordeaux. If you understand that, is Bordeaux takes time. When we start with Lamondot, nobody, uh, n n nobody cared at the beginning. And then one day Parker says, this is outstanding wine. The people are speaking a little bit more about them. But in Bordeaux, people say, oh, Mr. Nyberg, we will, we will look about that in, in 10 years, 15 years. And if the wines are still good, that's okay. So we need, we need time. And what did you start to do, Canon Lagaffier, in Saint-Domingue when you arrived? You were there in 83, you took a look for a couple of years. Then in 85, you were given control of the, that winery mm. to head it up. And that also coincided with some the last major replanting of the vineyard. So what did you decide to do in those two years? Well, the most important thing is we, we stopped to bring in any chemical fertilizer. Finished. So then we need about four or five years to stop completely the insecticides. So we push our production of our own compost. We change completely the pruning. The pruning in Bordeaux was a pruning, was a very productive pruning. And uh, so we selected a pruning that's, uh, it's a, what we say it's a, a geodouble, that means two shoots, but in a very horizontal way, like it's not very high way, but it's very in a horizontal way. And we take one butt out from another one. So that uh, the production was smaller. The aeration in the, in the parts of the fruit is much better. And then we we start to take out the leaves. But in these times, nobody do it. We start with Chateau Angelus, über de Bois, and myself, we take out, we start to take out leaves. In the beginning, when we do that, all the people say, oh, these guys, they're completely stupid, what they're doing there. And then we push, we, we make, the, we start a green harvest. Nobody do the green harvest in this time. So the green harvest today in the old wines, we don't, in the, we don't need it. Well, we have now, enough power but not too much and so we have we do the production we need but not more but in the in the old times they have so much power in the soils too much too much uh, um, uh, nitrous season all these things so they they the production was too high but if you have too much production if you have too much uh, nitrogen in the in the in the skins in the fruits you you have no power in the fruits the quality of the red wine is the skin. The juice is white. So what's important is the quality of the skin, how deep is the skin, how ripe is the skin, and more the skin is more excellent and more, more powerful if you have a real terroir. If you have no terroir, you have the skins are a little bit boring. The wine will be boring. You are in a real terroir, you will smell it, you can eat it, the skins are really different, and all what you smell in this, you will, or what you eat of the, and if you do, if you eat the skins, you will find in the in the wine behind. And then is the seeds. The seeds also, if you have seeds, they are green and there are really a lot of acidity. Don't harvest, don't extract them. You will make an aggressive, tannic, green tannic wine. So you need a little bit if you if you before the harvest, you need a little bit. A nut tasting in the in the seeds, and if you have this nut tasting, then you can start harvest, little by little. Yeah. Also in Bordeaux, it's also risky. No risk, no fun. Yeah? 
And one of the things that's somewhat unique to Canon Lagaffiere in the area is a fairly high percentage of Cabernet Franc and a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon in addition to the Merlot. Mm. And I think of the estates that you work with, it's the lowest percentage of Merlot. Is that true? Uh, Carnot Gaffelier is normal. If you see Carnot Gaffelier, we are we are really close to the to the hillside, but we are only have a part in the hillside, and the part is what we say that is just under the hill. And so, if you are in Saint-Emile, you have the plateau that's a limestone. In the part of the hillside, it's more the stone. It's a the chalk stone. Um, but aged, and it's it's not so much limestone in this part. And then you have more limestone under, and then more you're going, going down, more you have a little bit more sand. And if it's really a hard limestone, it's not easy for the Cabernet Franc. It's impossible nearly for the Cabernet Sauvignon. The Cabernet Sauvignon hate chalk, but chalk makes it late, so late ripe, and it can be very difficult in a lot of vintages. But the Cabernet Franc... They like these kinds of soils. They are a little bit hotter and they are a little bit less limestone. So you can understand why Chaval Blanc, Fijac, Angelus, Carnegie have a lot of Cabernet Franc, while these are not in the real limestone area. They are not a plateau with the quarries down. So the Cabernet Franc in these areas brings us a very silky taste, very profound. They're aged very good. They are, in the nose, it's much more spice and flower, less fruit, perhaps, less color. The Cabernet Franc is always a little bit, the, the, color, the color is a little bit more uh, rusty, if you want, than the Merlot. So you cannot see sometimes the wines they are from Cabernet Franc is coming, um, they are, their color is not so blue in the red than from the chalk area. Well, for me, it's not a problem, but some people, they're only looking about the color. But I, I think we have to look about wine and taste the wine and find out what is really outstanding. So the Cabernet Franc brings us the profoundness and a complexity. And it's perhaps a little bit less sexy. It's a little bit more intellectual. Cabernet Franc, a lot of people take out a Cabernet Franc, but it's too complicated. You cannot make, in Bordeaux, you cannot make more than 35 hectoliters in Cabernet Franc to be outstanding. But we have a very special thing in the Cabernet Franc. While we have eight hectares, this means about 18, 19 acres. They are planted before 53. So they are really very old. They are, have an outstanding rootstock, what's Ripaya Gloire, the first one we have in, in Bordeaux. And, and then they have no clones in these times. So they are only families. So these Cabernet Franc, they are much more complex than all the Cabernet Franc they planted after the big, big frost we have in 56. And I find them not good. So we have now also muscle collections. That it means that we have selected our old families. We have about 270 different wine characters in the Cabernet Franc, and we have about 250 in the Merlot. And this is one investment in the future. Well, you know, if you take the, the Merlot, there's two clones. They planted for 95% of the world. I don't want to have these clones. Well, I think... The old ones, this very big complexity in the families, they make much more, more brighter, more complex wine. But it's understandable. But we have so much different families. And Bordeaux, if you want, it's not like Burgundy. Burgundy is one area, one soil, if you want, in only one variety. But in Bordeaux, we have different cepage and we have different soils. And we need a complexity. We meet old, young, very old ones. And uh, I, I think that is really, really, very important that if you can, and if you have outstanding ones, to find our, well, a little bit our history. And the history is our different varieties and um, the different, there's not clones, but to bring in the families and to select the families for the history, what we do. And I think this is a very important thing. No, not a lot of people are thinking about that, but I think that it's really imp important to go in the future. 
So throughout the course of the 90s, especially towards the later half of the 90s, you started several new projects and you brought in some new winemaking expertise. What was the progression in the 90s for you? Well, one thing was that I've, I found a very nice uh, man. It's uh, Stefan de Ronencourt in 1995-96. And uh, my old um, cellar masters, he, he take over um, a family company. And I look around and then I find a young man. He was, um, well, he was a guy. He's coming from the north of France, nothing to do with wines. He is, um, he, well, he makes things for children. He was a barman. He was a little bit, uh, well, he was not really fixed. Huh? And, uh, and, and then he's coming down to Bordeaux for the, for the harvest in, in the, well, I think it was in the late, uh, in the late eighties. And then he was fixed by a, by a girl, I think. And uh, then he started to learn about wine. But I think at the first time I saw him, it was in 93, 92 perhaps. And I find a guy, he was a little bit, he wanted social re revenge, revenge of social things. He was very special, a little bit aggressive and very outspoken but very good taster and very true. And I find that this guy will be, will be good for our, my companies also. And then I try to hire him. And in this time, it's very funny. I, he asked me, Mr. Nybeck, we have so a very different social and family background. We cannot, working we cannot work together and say, oh, why? We say, he, look, he has hairs, very long hairs, and I'm not. And uh, he has, um, I don't know what means it, uh, something. The earring. Yeah, earring. And, uh, and I say, it's no problem. And I show him a, a, um, a photo of a family picture of the 18th century. And uh, my, I don't know, five-time grandfather, he always took earring. So um, I say, there's no problem. In my family also, we have these things. So, uh, and he understands that this is only, I'm not caring about these things. And today he has shorter hairs than me and he has no earrings, so it's no, no habit. But he, this guy has always, if you see Stefan Ronokur, he's always a very funny guy. And uh, he always inside, he wants to have, uh, well, this kind of uh, dynamic um, about wine. He's looking what's really good is in the wine. Organic, thing, he's thinking not in in pesticide and uh, herbicide and uh, chemical fertilizer. Welcome back to the nature. All these kinds is reintegrated. And so I worked in, in, in exclusivity with him for four or five years. And then he started his, his consultant companies. And that was good for him. And I think in the end of the day, it was good for us also. But he's, he's not, I think he's not born to be, to be a seller master, but he's more, much more born to be a consulting guy. And so we, we have our own stuff, take it over, and he's still there for the consult. So this is one point for me was very important. Then we coming, really coming back to wooden fermentation tanks, but uh, welcome back to the future. And that's nothing new. Um, we coming back to the pigeage. We have no pumping system to bring up the, the fruits. All is by gravity. We have no selected yeast. And uh, so... We are really coming back to the nature. And you see, if you have, if you see how the people with nothing making outstanding wines in the 50s, well, you have to be stupid not to try to understand what they are doing in this time. And I think, I, I, well, you know, very often the young people say my father was stupid or my grandfather. I think tell, tell it was not my father there, but the, the, the guys they're working in the, in the in the twenties, in the thirties, in the forties, in the fifties, in the beginning of the sixties, these guys they understand what how to make wines, and they have no, not a lot of possibilities. They cannot heat, they cannot cool, they can do well. They have very small possibilities, and they're making outstanding wines. So we have only to to understand why they do that, and that's what we try to do. And I think that is if you see the. Big, big collectors of, of wine. And very often I see people, they are collecting wines. They're collecting what? They're collecting the wines in the 20s, in the 30s, 40s, 50s. 
And very often in the 60s, there stops. There are very, very little wines. In the 70s, they're outstanding. You find some Palmer, some uh, Petrus or Trottenois, but very, very little quantities. And then, little by little, we, the Bordeaux is coming back in, in, in the late 80s. Oh, some 82. Yeah, good. But that's is, uh, that's was the nature nature. But after more and more in the in the last year, and a lot of people around understand that the quality is not the quantity, and how to produce these fruits we need to making outstanding wines. You know, if you're making tomatoes, they have no taste. You your t tomatoes, you 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 you, you well you, you, you bring the tomatoes to rubbish. I don't know. You you push them away. But with the fruits, with the skins, you have to do the quality. And if you have no quality in the, in the, in the skins, you never can make outstanding wine. If you, if you understand that, it's just the most important thing. All the things behind, that's perhaps not easy, but it's, it's clear. It's like a, like a highway, you understand. And did you have a vision of what you wanted to do in the winemaking from the start, or did you experiment a bit and then see where things changed? Um, results came in. I think that uh, in the beginning, when I start, I have not enough experience. Well, I have to take over the company very quick, and I was only 20, 26 years old, so it's quite not really old, and with not, not enough experience. But then I was very curious, and I look in the left and the right, I read a lot of books of old winemaking, but not books in the next, last 10, 20 years, but books, they are 100 years, 150 years. People, they, they make a copy of books of the old months in Burgundy. And these people, they really understand about winemaking. They really, they have a reflection about the wine, I think in a very, very high degree. And... And all these information I take over, I try to bring in my process in the winemaking. So take out the leaves, you know. And if you understand how wine is growing, you understand that we have a special, the major shoot, and then you have a lot of side shoots. In the old times, always the people take out the side shoots, the first three or four. Well, if they have no anti against rotten products so they have to but it's a, the only thing what they can do to bring wind aeration in the wine and to be sure that they have not too early rotten fruits and uh, it's very important in europe right we have the humidity we have not always the sun we have the rain and so if the skin is rotten you cannot make a red wine so you make perhaps a good sauterne but that's not really the thing what we try to do in centimillion and uh, these things, I bring it in again. By the people, they stop. They stop to work really in the vineyards. While they say all oh, this is a technical way, the technique is more important than handmade. And uh, and I think it's the opposite. We have much more employees today than before. While the the outstanding fruit maker for the wine, you need handmade. The machines are not good. But our wines are very often, they are 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. So they are not, you cannot send a machine. You will kill the wine. So that is also the thing that um, if you are really make outstanding wine, you have to integrate all the, the social part in your winery. Well, you have a lot of employees. In uh, When I start, we have about, in Canagafelier, about six or seven we are more than 85, 90 people now the whole year. And then if it's becoming green, 40, 50 more from outside and the harvest much more. So that's also the, the social part is very important. And uh, this is a part, a difficult part, while France is not easy to, to manage these kinds of things. Just in terms of the regulations and the paperwork and the, the labor controls? Hor horrible, horrible. But, uh, you know, in the end of the day, they do exactly the opposite. Well, they protect the, the people so much, then nobody wants to, to take really somebody new in the company. Where they say, well, I can, and I, can, I can never push him out, so I don't hire him. So it's ex exactly the uh, things. And then I think it's too much uh, what you're not, you don't know that so much in, uh, in, in, in the United States. 
But we give a lot of free money to people that are doing nothing. That's difficult to make them working. And then sometimes we have two, three, uh, we, have, uh, we have families be between two, three generations that are never working. So that is, that's another part. But that's not our part we're speaking about now. What is very funny is that we have also a lot of young people. They are now um, in the end of the, oh, they're 20, 20, 25, 20 to 30 years old. They have a real passion about wine and they really want to learn it. And these people are very positive, and we try to find out these people. That's just our selection we do. It's not um, well. Money is one thing. I think uh, you, the people need to be, to be happy and to to can live with our, with the handmade with the things they do in a good way. Uh, but also, what we try to find up in the opposite of the money is. How much investment, intellect and investment, and how much love they bring in the business. And I think that's very important for me that I find, I have to find people. They really like to do the work. If they really hate the work they do, I think it's not good. It's not good for the product. It's good not for, good for them. And that is a little bit what, what we were looking around, how to find the people there. Okay. Because you were increasing the workforce because you were adding new labels to your stable of production. But you... but but also then the old time the people for one hectares for one hectare they they need I think though for five hectares they need one one people. Now we need for two two hectares we need one employee. So it is changing a lot. And why is that? While we're doing much more in the vineyards, we are taking out the side shots. We are we have the wines are higher, so we have more leaves. So it's much more difficult to bring it inside the rows. And we have the green harvest if we need them. We have to select fruits that they are not in a like in a balance. They have to be free. Aeration is very important. The pruning is more important. Then we have no herbicide. seed. If you have no herbicide, seed, you have to work the soils. So it's much more work. And all these things, they are. They, if you have a machine screwing, and it's very easy. If you kill all the all the grass um, around you, <laughs> but there's no life more. And uh, I find life is the most important thing. The first thing you have to change. The most difficult thing to change, to bring life in your soil. Then. You start a little bit about reflection, how to make an outstanding wine. If you look to the roots in a in a soil with a real life inside, they are completely different. Also, the the kind of soil, how the textures of the soil has nothing to do. And if you see that one time, you understand what how dangerous can be the chemical fertilizer. We don't need them, and I think it's not good for the for the wines. The wines are not they are not they are not better. And that's the only thing what I am thinking about. It's uh, the reflection of something in the harmony. Live in the harmony yourself. The wines are in the harmony. And also the wines are better and they can age better. In the end of the day, it's always a natural, natural thing. Nothing very artificial. And also, if you, if you look a little bit around, outstanding wine... In the end of the day, they are e easy to do. You do not. You need nothing. You don't have to add uh, Sith things. You add a little bit sulfates, but very small quantities. But what does, if you have a dry wine, so you have no sugar, so you have a lot of tannins, you have alcohol, you need very, very small quantity of sulfates, nothing to do with the sweet wine or the half-sweet wine or a little bit dry sugar wine. And that is all. You bring the wine to the barrel. Barrel is hundred and hundred years old. We don't. That's not our our um, a new thing. And then one day you bring the wine in the bottle. But the snow be not adding something very special. But if you have a small wine, if you have a very difficult vintage, you start thinking about artificial things. But these things are these wines are not outstanding. So. Also, wines there are too much alcohol. You have to take alcohol out. Too much acidity, not enough acidity. All these things you're making a little bit artificial. You can you can um, help the nature if you want. But if you help the nature, that's like um, 
that's like a very nice, very pretty woman that takes too much makeup. After four or five years, the makeup is coming down and the wine also. It's exactly the same. If you if you taste wines that are seven, eight, ten years, ten years old, you really can see what's happened. And you can fake for a small period, but you cannot fake for ten years. So you started up La Mandat, first vintage was ninety-six. What was the vision for that? Why did you um, go about that project? Well, ninety-six Mandat. Well, we have a classification in Santimino, and we are perhaps much better than all the other areas in Bordeaux, that our classification is the only classification we have to redone all 10 years. Very difficult now. It's very complex, and and we have a lot of problem with the classification. And I think I'm not sure that we will have this classification in uh, always all the 10 years. I think some one day they will fix the classification. But in this time, was 96, and I asked in this time to be first grouse Premier Concrete Classé for Canada Filière, and they refused me. And one of the things why they refused me was they, they told me, oh, you are too young. And, uh, well, I, I have nothing to do with the terroir, nothing to do with the chateau. But, and I think, well, if I'm too young now, in 10 years next, I will be old enough. And then I asked them in the second, in the second demand, why? Well, I want to bring in Lamondot, it's only a very small area, 4.5 hectares, means about 11 acres, 12 acres, to bring this company to Conagafilière. And they told me, you know, Mr. Nyberg, that's not possible while there's about four, uh, four kilometers away. Well, not far. That, that, uh, the soil is not the same, but it's true. And, uh, and also the wines are not good. And then I was a little bit, uh, well, I was not really um, happy about this. And uh, they I asked me also for these four and a half hectares, I have to construct a new cellar. So then we start Lamondot. We say, if you have to do that, and we know before that is a very outstanding area, then we we make a very special wine there. And the, the, the thing is that Lamondot is, there's nothing very special, but the, the area is, that you have a, a a soil, 60 to 80 centimeters of soil. Then you have the stone, and the stone is completely well. We have two two level of quarries behind, and the wines are well. The average in the average they are more than 65 years old. We have wines that are more than 100 years old. So this is an outstanding quality, but the production in the, on the other side is very small. So we can produce in Lamondot, well, that's ridiculous, but we are never producing more than 12,000 bottles in this area. But the, the wines are very, very, very special. These wines, you can, also the small vintage, if you take a 97, the texture is so profound, so precise, and after some years, you always find the black truffles. Very outstanding black travels, very profound wines, but much more in the way of power. And Carnegie has much more in elegance, perhaps, and it's more intellectual. But Lamondot is these wines, they are profound, they're aging in a very good way. So 96, the first wine we do is still very young. 98 is young. Nice to drink now is 97, 99. 91, if you decant it, starts. But uh, a lot of these, a lot of '97 in Bordeaux are finished. Lamondot '97 starts, so it's very, very special. So, and and you know, for for me, what's very, very funny? Well, I'm I'm a newcomer. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an immigrant, if you want to, in in France, in uh, in but in an immigrant in a positive way. Well, I like Bordeaux and I like France and I like the language, but um, nobody. Wait for me in Bordeaux. And you say, oh, that young guy is coming, what he's doing, and they're looking for me like that. Now I'm completely, I'm, I'm integrated and, and a lot of people, while Bordeaux was always in the history, a lot of people are coming new to Bordeaux. A lot of people, they change the things. They are not people, they are born in Bordeaux, a lot coming from outside. So all what we try to do is as a little bit bringing the ideas from outside, inside, but we have to respect the area. 
I don't want to be against the Bordeaux. But I told you, Lurton told me only the first 200 years are difficult. So La Mondot, uh, we start in 96, so we have some years. But we see now that was very funny for La Mondot. This was coming up very quick. Then it's a little bit balanced, it's going a little bit down, and it's really coming back. Now it's after, after 15 years, it's much more coming into history. And the people, you know, the people have to trust you. What we sell, what we say in, in France, we say capital confiance. The confiance, you, tr you trust somebody and that's an outstanding capital. And, uh, and I think that is, uh, I think in our business, winemaking is not becoming rich quick. Winemaking is somewhere patient, investment in the time, thinking in the time, very often in generation. And you have a real knowledge about what means quality. But if you have not this, uh, this spirit about what means quality in the wine, I think you never will be one of the big guys in Bordeaux. I, I know a little bit the guys, they really change the things. You know, in my generation, there are not more than 10. But people, people speaking about that. And who would those people be for you? Oh, you see that in uh, one of the first one in the, in the last generation was Terry Manoncourt from Fijac. So he is gone two years ago. He's now in the other world. He's in his wine world, I hope. And uh, he, he was one of the guys, they really, they're thinking about how to make the wines, different qualities. Um, uh, they're thinking about the rootstocks, about uh, perhaps also clones and uh, making good qualities. And uh, I have to change to, to drink a lot of wines of the 50s and a little bit of the late 40s. And really, Fijac in this time was outstanding. Then you have Jean-Michel Cas. Uh, Lynch badge, you really change a lot of things. Then, if, if you go back in, in the newer time, is uh, Mr. Tesseron of uh, Pontecane in the last years. Then you have Uber de Bois from Chateau Angelus. So you have some people in this way. In in, in but it's about not more than ten. In in they 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 really bring in a, a new things. They understand the time or a little bit the philosophy in, the, in, in they are living now. Well, you know, our, our world have a, vi a vibration, and they, understand, and they understand the vibration we are. And I think this is important. And we are clearly now in a world who people have a look for things they are special, and they, they bring them more emotion. And then you have to make a, a different. Some people, they are only buying brand names. But it's okay for me, no problem. But they're buying brand names if they're not understanding the whole thing. So uh, they, they, in some very, very well-known companies, they sell a lot of wines to China. But that is not a normal market. While one day this these new market, there will be more developed, more educated, and also they will say, well, this wine is not so much better than another one. And there's a big competition in Bordeaux. So I think this is also a very important thing. The competition, the quality, the people, they do that. And, and well, to be a part of the people, they bring Panish dynamic in, in, in this region. You know, this is a very old region. So if you, if you really to make them, make them a little bit crazy, yeah, have fun. Do you think there's been more openness to changes in the right bank or the left bank, or are they equal? I think in my time it was easier in the in the in the right bank. But the right bank was uh, there were some people like me. There was Tunevin also, Falombro. There was Uber de Bois. There was myself, a little bit Christine Vallet from Trollomondo. So there's there are three, four, five people. They 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 start to change the things. And I think this was easier. The companies are smaller. You know, these very, very big companies in the Medoc, in the left bank, they are, um, they are belonging very often to um, assurance company, 
to uh, foreign investors, to very big family, but the, the families are not really involved in the production. And if you are a director, also if you are a very good director, it's very difficult to to take decisions that are a little bit risky. So you you are perhaps much more um, classic. And if you are owner and you can you can say, well, I take the risks. It's my problem. That's easier. And the companies are much smaller. You know, in in the average company in Centimio, it's about um, 15 acres in Centimio, perhaps less. In the Medoc, it's much bigger. So the, that's a little bit different. But I think that this, in the end of the day, the, what's happened in in um, in Centimio, and the people critique this in this this time, and we are now in the in the in the middle of the 80s. Now, the in the left bank. They do it exactly the same. So in the end of the day, we are not wrong. So it's an evolution, a normal evolution. And if you can do it in a small uh, company or in a small vineyard, you can do it also in a bigger one. And what we try to do, you know, the Chateau d'Aiguille is much, much bigger than, than Carnegie Filière. That's about, uh, in the production, we are more than 150, 140, 150 acres. But you have to... You need a different organization. But it's only a problem of organization. And that's in the Côte de Castillon. Côte de Castillon. And you moved there in the late 90s. Exactly. Though that was a, a, a time when, when I understand it's rather it's too expensive for me to invest in the good in the good parts of Saint-Emilion. But the prices were so high and they are still very high. But I understand that in the east of Saint-Emilion, we have exactly the same plateaus and the same coat that we have in, uh, in Saint-Emilion. And the stone is perhaps a little bit different. The part of the, the limestone is a little bit different. But in the end of the day, if you, if you understand the, the area, that is really similar. The problem is now that we, I had to find an area when we can find a little bit old wines and then was the possibility in uh, 98 to buy a, com- a Chateau d'Aiguille from this was a Spanish family and they make a kind of um, champagne in, in Spain and they have this property and they, well, they have some problems, the property, but they have some problems in Spain and so, well, and this way we can help them and we bought it in end of 98, beginning of 99 and we still have about 23, 24 hectares of old vines. They are planted before uh, in, the, in the very early 60s and in the 50s. And these vines are really outstanding. And then we, we have to took out a lot of vines and plant new ones. So that, uh, the wine is much younger than we have in Canagafilea or in, in La Mondot. But we can make wines there. They are really very powerful. Very, very profound in the color, very nice wines in the in, in, in the concentration, and wine that can age very well. Well, and the first thing the people never drink a, a outstanding Cote Castillon, and they think we can't age the wine. And a lot of journalists, a lot of French journalists, they told me, "Oh, Mr. Nyberg, they say, Stefan, so good you invest in this area. This wine can be very nice to drink for three, four years. You know, taste the 2000 um, Aiguille now." It's still a wonderful young wine, still very young. So the people are not looking where the wine are, where the wine is coming from, but they only look around. They say, "Oh, there's no Castillon that can age." But the aging is coming from the soil, and if you change how you produce the skins, you will also change how long you can drink the wine. But they make so much mistakes. The, the industrial philosophy was not to making quality wines. They, may, they have to do a lot of wines to live. For me, it's different. But I, I put a little bit the name we have and the reputation we have from Canada, from La Mondot. And the people trust me. They say, well, we understand what means making outstanding wines. And then they say, well, if you make outstanding wines, Centimil, why he can't do that in, uh, in the Côte de Castillon? And so it's a, like, a little bit, well, we make a photocopy and with different reasons, so it's much bigger. And for me, the philosophy is now clear that Chateau d'Aiguille will be a, 
a larger company. So we will have about in the production one day about 100, 200 acres. And but always may we have to make a wine, very powerful wine, but also wine quality price in a very reasonable way. So this is not a wine is very expensive. A lot of people can buy this this wine because it's like 25 30 bucks yeah like yeah, a bottle yeah here yeah, in the united states yeah yeah and that's what is i think but really is a good price for a very for a really good price for outstanding wine and 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 the wines in a good vintage you can age for a long time but if you think the 2001 also 2002 was not an outstanding vintage so nice to drink and i found that canela gaffier is also not expensive relative to other yeah. fine wines that yeah. can age. It's, you know, uh, we have a special philosophy. Um, a lot of people push up the prices a lot in 09 and 010 um, about uh, why they are very integrated in the Chinese market. But Canonagafilier, the name is difficult for English-speaking people, but it's rather difficult for Chinese-speaking people. So... The Canagafilia is not really very well known in China. And we never push too much them. So we push in Hong Kong, in Singapore, but and now slowly the wines are coming in from the south of China, and but in a very reasonable way. Um, the problem was that in uh, 2010, 11, and also 12, the, the Chinese, they stuck a lot of very well-known brand names. And they have these really big stock now and the the people think that all these wines are drunk and it's not that's not that's not true a lot of these wines are not drunk and there's a lot of stock of uh, lafitte mouton margot in uh, in china so we have no stock in china so and but i'm not pushing up the pricing from 09 to 010 so my american market and canadian market german market swiss market they bought also the O10. So we have no problem of, of distribution. So that is, uh, for me, is um, a good distribution is a worldwide distribution. I don't like exclusivities. And, uh, and I think this is a very, very important way to look about that if we have the same problem in the, in the 60s was United States opened the market and the prices are going up. A lot of people invested a lot in the American markets. Then we have the same problem in Japan uh, in the late 90s. And they push it very well. Then now in China. And I think the Chinese market will be a very important market, a very good market, where there are a lot of people. But they, they have to learn for 10, 20 years more and more about wine. And they will do it. They are very, they are very curious. They are very curious. They are very interested by the wines, and uh, and they drink. They drink a lot. The people, but also the very rich people. They are a little bit, um, you know. They have to show also what they have. That's it's like somebody who they collect him pictures. The next is collecting uh, furnitures. The next is collecting I don't know what. But some of them collecting uh, wines. And they in a very quick way, they want to have all these things in, in, in this house. So it's a, it's a very special way. But so we, are, we try to be reasonable with the prices and we say that we sell well these wines. And uh, we, we have not this outstanding push in 09 and 010. We push it in 09, but in a reasonable way, but it's normal. But it's outstanding vintage. For me, for me personally, I think that 010 is better than 09. But Are there other vintages that have been in the right bank during your career where you thought, boy, that one's overlooked in the press? Are there other vintages that you prefer more than the reputation in the press has given them credit for? I, I think that... Uh, we, we know the outstanding vintage in the right bank is 98, 2000, 2005, 9, 10. But you have vintage like 99, 2001, 2004, 2008. They are really very good vintage. And we, 2008 was completely destroyed by a lot of people. Why? Well, the premier... There was in the beginning of nine, in the middle of the crisis. And if you have a big crisis, the wine cannot be good. Well, I, 
perps, but the 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 V cell the the, the two thousand eight for a very very small price, um, a very good wine, and uh, so it's not so that's uh, not so concentrated wines than the than the O nine and O ten, but it's a rather good wine, and uh, he can age easily for ten years. But look to the two thousand one. So much 2001s are no so nice to drink, especially in the right bank, Pomerols and Centimeols. 2001, really outstanding good. And uh, nines, the 99s, some of these are very nice to drink now. I think also the 7 would be very nice to drink. The problem of the 7 was more that when the outcoming price in Bordeaux was for me a little bit high. And so the 07 was not only why the wines are not good, but it was, they were not really. They were not in the price level exact for the quality. So, but now the prices are coming down for 2007, and a lot of people like 2007. Easier to drink than, than uh, 2006. So 2004, I like very much 2004. Uh, L'Oratoire, Claude L'Oratoire, 2004. Whoa, so nice. If you have a good meat, pleasure. Really pleasure. Have you seen the market in the United States change for Bordeaux since you got started in the eighties? Has the reception been different at different times? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think with Chateau Understate, they they are not doing more Bordeaux in the in the Premier, and they are not selling. They have not this huge stock they sell to the restaurants after. So I be a lot of. Bordeaux wines disappear more and more from the price lists in the in the restaurants, and uh, we start we are we are starting now to make a big effort to bring back the, the our wines to the restaurants. I think that's very very important, and so we have now a branch manager here in 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 uh, in uh, United States to to bring really to push our wines in in this sector. I think it's important to to. To be personal, uh, the, the wines have to be in the restaurants. This is it's a key market for me. I think also the market the market is more and more knowledge. What we have absolutely to do that uh, what is a little bit normal is that a lot of young people they will discover Bordeaux by special wines, a little bit wines like Aiguille. But this in the price level, it's okay. And they start with, uh, they understand a little bit more what means Bordeaux and what its wines. They are powerful, but they are not over-extracted. They are not hard. They are, they are ripe. And uh, it's sure that uh, normally the, the young people are more coming into the wine by wines that are perhaps a little bit sweeter. They are a little bit only fruit and they are easier to understand. Bordeaux in the... Uh, they are a little bit more complex. They are a little bit more complicated to understand. And I think you need a little bit more knowledge to enjoy. So what we have to do also to give the possibility to to drink these wines and to enjoy these wines. And we have some very good importers in, in, uh, in the United States. They really help us a lot to bring our wines in and to promote them. You know, we, we have not a possibility from France to do it here. Has the style of right bank Bordeaux changed in terms of texture or flavors, either as a result of global warming or as a result of winemaking? And is the change for the better if it has changed? Mm. I think uh, if the changes, if be between the changes that we do between the the sixties, seventies, and uh, and 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 very often eighties, I think the change is really good. But if you if you well, I have a lot of. Uh, I, I, I almost drank a lot, perhaps five times the forty-seven Cheval Blanc. Forty-seven Cheval Blanc. If you take only the analyses, more than fourteen degrees alcohol. They have fresh sugar a little bit. They have a lot of volatile. Well, this wine is outstanding, and if you take this wine, you you can say that's a modern wine. But well, they they have a stripe. What we try to do, we have a stripe. I have a 53 Canonica Filière. If you drink this wine, it's so beautiful, but ripe. It's not why the tannins are ripe, they're not aging. If the fruits are overripe, you can't age them. 
But it's always the same thing. If you have a tree with uh, cherries and you eat each day one or two cherries from this tree, you will see, well, in the beginning it's not ripe enough. Then the ripeness have more and more coming. And then you will see that the ripeness is going on more and more. And one moment you say, now it's overripe. It's exactly the same with our fruits. So if you push the ripeness to the overripeness, these wine really cannot go, can't go in the future. So you need ripeness, but not overripeness. This is the most difficult problem to understand when the ripeness is too much. And the overripe fruit is a little bit a cooked fruit. It's a, it's a dry fruit. You normally we don't like that. We, we na, we, what we try to find, and it's very important in the, in the Merlot, that we have enough acidity. But it's a wine, it's only no acidity more, but only alcohol, but it's too heavy. And, and it's not good to be served with, with, uh, with a good meat or something to eat. And we, we, we need this in a balance. And exactly the same, no acidity in a wine. The, the normally you see the wine after 10 years, the, the, the body is too round, the tannins, they are heavy. And very often also the tannins be becoming um, dry. We have we need the tans with juice inside, a little bit salt if you want, and uh, and 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 we need absolutely power in the tannins. The tannins becoming more more silky, more ripe, but they are still there. Stefan van Niepik, he's been there since 1983, and he's making wine in the right bank of Bordeaux. Thank you very much for being here today, sir. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website all drink to that pod.com that's i-l-l drink to that pod.com which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating you can donate from anywhere using paypal or stripe on the show website remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app please that's super important to see every episode and thank you for listening